with Dr. Um, Shane Miramontes, and Dr. Miramontes is the ISS for Autism here in our district. And today we're going to be talking a little bit about things um, every child with autism wishes you would know. So thank you again for being with us. Okay, so let's jump right in and let's start to talk about some of those things that um, that we need to know about our, our students and our population with autism. It's actually called 10 Things Every Child with Autism Wishes You Knew by Ellen Notbaum. Hopefully I'm pronouncing that correctly. Um, you know, one of the very first things, and, and one of my mentors uh, when I was in grad school used to say is, a child with autism is a child first. And I think that's one of the most important things that we need to remember is that kids on the spectrum shouldn't just be defined by the fact that they have autism. Um, they have things that they like, just like every other kid. They have things they enjoy doing. They have things that they really don't like to do. Um, and I think we all need to take the time to, to get to know kids. What they like, what they don't like, what they're good at, what they might need support with. So I think that's an important thing to sort of start out with. Uh, in terms of kids with autism and sort of what are thought to be traditionally traditional characteristics of kids with autism, they are really visual learners. So anytime observations recently where the child with autism is one of the last kids to transition or one of the last kids okay. to finish their work mm-hmm. and it's really because they're processing all of the information that is happening around them they're processing the direction but they're also having to sort of process and think about um you know, just how other kids in the environment are moving or what they're doing. Right. They're having to sort of deal with distractions of, of lights and noise. So the processing piece for kids with autism is huge. Mm-hmm. Um, and allowing them, once you give a direction or ask a question, allowing them the time to process and that space to process. Right. I think as adults, and I always say this to people that I'm sort of training, um, we like to we like to talk and we like to feel silence with with something (laughs) right and that's really difficult for kids with autism Mm because then they're just having to process everything that you're saying to them when they really should be concentrating on the core thing yeah and I'm I'm thinking about just how busy a classroom can get especially when you're in the lower grade levels and you know sometimes just as adults trying to manage that many little people Mm -hmm. um we might forget in the moment and you're like okay I need y'all to move I need you to do this I need you to you know transition to that Mm -hmm. but like you said taking that moment and being mindful that you know this student might need a little more time to understand you know what it is that we're doing next Mm -hmm. and to transition into that definitely Mm -hmm. yeah and I think again that's where the visuals come into place Mm -hmm. um understanding or knowing or remembering, which is tricky in a busy classroom, that perhaps that student needs an individual direction. So walking Mm. over and sort of reminding them with an individual direction Mm -hmm. or just kind of checking in, um, which again is easier said than done, like you said, in a busy Mm -hmm. classroom. But I think those things are important, especially for kids with autism. Mm So what are some other things that we need to be aware of? So another thing that I think is really interesting is the idea that, 
behavior, all behavior is communicative, right? Mm -hmm. And so we see oftentimes that kids with autism are having challenging behaviors, Mm -hmm. but that's their way of communicating. And so we really have to sort of step back and think about what are they trying to tell us right now? Um, Think about if you are in a position where you're sort of escalated or your your emotions are elevated, Mm -hmm. it's really hard for you to communicate right. and oftentimes that's how kids with autism are a majority of their day they're having some they're having to work so hard right to keep it together or to process other aspects that mm. that sort of they're always at this heightened state of arousal and um and trying to figure out how to communicate that with people is really difficult mm-hmm. so a couple things you know allowing for breaks for sensory breaks for calm down areas in the classroom um, the processing time, any of those things to just sort of kind of reestablish them on an, on an even keel, mm-hmm. I think is really helpful. And then again, like I said, to step back and think, what is this child trying to tell me right now? Are they trying to tell me this task is too difficult? Are they trying to tell me they're bored? Are they trying to, are they so excited, but they don't know how to interact with their peers? You know, what right. exactly are they trying to tell us right now with their, with their behavior? Mm-hmm. And I think that's a very important point in that um, they have sometimes there's a challenge with communicating it and also a challenge with the way that we read it. Mm-hmm. So um, could you speak a little bit about that? Yeah. So, I mean, I think sometimes different types of behaviors come off as either we don't understand if they can't do that mm-hmm. skill or if they just don't want to. Mm-hmm. Right. And that looks the same sometimes. Mm-hmm. But if they couldn't do it, you would teach them. Mm-hmm. And if they won't do it, you'd probably provide some motivation or maybe a consequence. So you'd approach those two um, two things very differently. Right. Um, so when we're thinking about that, we, we might want to, if the child is verbal, we mm-hmm. might want to sort of ask some questions about it. Do you know how to do this? Do you know what this means? Mm-hmm. What are you supposed to be doing next? <laughs> you know, we can ask them some of those things um, to get them to get us to understand whether they know what they're doing or not. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes, and I think this is an okay thing to do, sometimes we just assume that they don't have the skill, and so we we teach them. Mm-hmm. And I think even if they're refusing to do it, a little support and a little teaching, a little reminder mm-hmm. is okay. Um, I think you can also watch, right? You can watch them. And um, again, this is maybe a, a generalization, but if they seem to, um, you can sort of tell by the look on their face, right? Mm-hmm. If they seem very lost, they probably don't know how to do that skill. Right. If they seem a little mischievous, they they probably know how to do it and are refusing, mm-hmm. or they probably will just say no. And, right. and, and that probably means that they are just refusing to do mm-hmm. it. Um, so, but that's, I think it's important to think about, do they, do they not know how, or do they just not want to do it? Mm-hmm. And if you are, a classroom teacher, you probably have seen them do that that skill before, so right. that can give you right. um, some indication. If you're a counselor, I would I wouldn't be afraid to ask questions of of the teachers. Have mm-hmm. you seen this before? Have you not seen this before? Right. When I go in as a as a consulting teacher, I ask that a lot. Is this a typical day for this student? Is mm-hmm. this typical for this student? Mm-hmm. So I think using the classroom teacher as a resource. Absolutely, is yeah. A classroom teacher is an excellent resource because they see the child, you know, on a regular basis. Mm-hmm. So it's like, well, you know, 
you know, Johnny usually is like this, but I introduced this and this happened. Or, you know, Sarah is always like, you know, blah, 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 when it's time to do this, that, or the other. So um, definitely, like you said, asking those questions. Yeah, yeah, I think that's helpful. any other tips that you would like to share with us? Um, So I mentioned the sort of sensory component, but I think it's worth revisiting Mm -hmm. um, because again, I, I, I think that as, as educators, we underestimate the impact of sensory processing for Mm -hmm. kids. Um, And the fact that there, there is just a lot going on in their brains that, that is completely unrelated to the to the academic lesson that's mm-hmm. happening, um, some kids have a sensitivity to noise. Some kids have a sensitivity to light. Some kids have a sensitivity to smell. Mm-hmm. Some kids have all three. Uh, so allow again allowing students to perhaps have sensory breaks, um, or have fidget toys, or have different seating arrangements. I was in a classroom the other day that had. I think four or five different types of seating arrangements mm-hmm. and all of the kids could pick uh, where they could, where or how they wanted to sit mm-hmm. for their um for their best learning and I think that's great mm-hmm. um because I think this is another aspect of it I think that when you include sort of uh, modifications in your entire class then you're not singling the individuals with autism or the individuals with disabilities mm-hmm. out those seats were for everyone. Mm-hmm. Would they benefit just a couple of kids in the class? Absolutely, but mm-hmm. it was available for anyone to use. Right. Um, I've seen early childhood classrooms where same thing, there's there's just a box of, of fidget toys, of spinners, of mm-hmm. squeezing things, of Play-Doh, and any child could use them, but of course they're gonna be most effective for the child um, or most used by the child right. with autism. And I was thinking about that as you were talking, just the fact that, like you said, number one, it's inclusion. I'm not being singled out. But also, like I think about the fact that we do it anyway for children who may not be on the spectrum. If you sit Lakeisha next to the window, Lakeisha is going to look at the birds and the trees and right. the sun streaming through the window yeah, yeah. and not get any of that math lesson. Yeah. So you know that Lakeisha needs to be moved, you know, to the other side. So it's not that these things are necessarily extraordinary measures, Mm -hmm. but there are things, what you said in the very beginning, these are children first. Mm -hmm. So just looking at the needs of each child and monitoring and adjusting for that. Absolutely. And I, and I will, I will preface this with, I don't think there's any scientific research. (laughs) This is just my own opinion after having worked with kids with autism for a very long time is that a lot of these characteristics are characteristics we see in, in typically developing or Mm -hmm. neurotypical students. Um, we just, it's, um, it's just, uh, what's the word? Like magnified, Mm -hmm. uh, for kids on the spectrum. For example, like you just said, any kid could sit and daydream. Mm-hmm. A child with autism might do it a little bit longer, right. and it might be harder for them to come back. Right. right? A kid, a typically developing kid, might be able to just look out the window for a couple seconds mm-hmm. and come back to their work. That child with autism is going to be stuck looking out the window until maybe someone comes over mm-hmm. and redirects them. Right. Um, same thing with you know out on the playground. A kid might scrape their knee. That mm-hmm. might hurt. They might cry a little. Go to the nurse. A kid with autism might scrape their knee and be inconsolable for. Mm 
um, you know, 25 to 30 minutes. So the emotions, again, it goes back to their kids first, like you said too. The emotions are similar. The actions are similar. They're just sometimes magnified. Right. And I think we have to sort of remember that, that like, okay, any kid might be doing this, but how can we, you know, can we use our visuals? Can we catch them before it escalates? Mm -hmm. Um, Can we understand what their behavior is trying to tell us? And I think about uh, one of the schools where I was teaching and I didn't understand, you know, all of the nuances and aspects of working with students with autism. But I walked into this one classroom and there were things everywhere beautiful bright colorful Mm. everywhere Mm -hmm. and um the teacher was setting up for the school year and i said to her i said how about in this corner we leave it just as it is Mm -hmm. like not add and you know and we you know she's also a friend of mine but she was like you know what would i do that for and i said well think about your students where all of this is beautiful but it might be too much mm-hmm. i said you know there's a lot to read there's a lot to look at and she thought about it and that's what she did and later that year she said you know i have a couple of students that i assign you know in a near that space yeah. so there isn't so much and she said i've seen improvement mm-hmm. so you know, not to keep hammering it, but going back to whether or not the student is on the spectrum, that's a part of it. But again, going back to the child being a child and differentiation Mm -hmm. and um, paying attention to the needs of our students. And yes, there are a lot in a room, um, but sometimes making those adjustments can make the world of difference in the peace in your room and being able to accomplish the goals that you have for the students. Yeah, definitely. Mm. Definitely. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for talking with me. No problem. It was fun. All right.